Is there anything you would have done differently? We reported a true story. Our colleague Brian Williams is back in Kuwait City tonight after a close call on the skies over Iraq. Controversial Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh and questions about Kavanaugh's drinking in the past. Sean Hannity, come on up, Sean Hannity. Today, Andrew Cuomo is having a moment. Hi, I'm Chris Steyerwalt. And I'm Eliana Johnson. And speaking in this extremely normal voice, I want to welcome you to Ink Stained Wretches, where we break down what is going wrong and what is going right with the American news media. Hello. Hello. Eliana Johnson, how are you? I am coming to you from my sickbed. Well, I want to say that yesterday, we're recording this on Thursday, the 23rd of February, and you were a real mensch and showed up at the Georgetown Institute of Politics where I am a fellow this semester. And you, along with our friend Michael Meehan, were part of a great session with the kids and you played sick. You did it even though you have a debilitating head cold. And here you are today delivering for the people. And I, I for one, salute you, madam. Thank you. Thank you. Wretches on the road. It's going to happen for you people one day. Wretches so, on the road. Forgive my, yeah, forgive my, my voice. It's great. One of the attendees yesterday compared you to what actress? Oh, my gosh. Holly Hunter. Got a Holly Hunter, which fits with broadcast news. You got a Holly Hunter comparison, so that's good. You got that out of the deal. Yeah. So there you, there you have it. Okay. Would it, you was, say we, it was so such a college TM situation Yes. with... Like boxed pizzas in the back, red solo cups, two liters of soda. It was total college sitch. Absolutely. And uh, and I was pictured holding my red solo cup of Diet on, Coke. That's right, on Twitter. And Nate Moore, Nate Dog, was also present. So it was a real, got the university vibe up there. Thing I love about He wasn't wearing a sweater. No, and there's, and you know, the fashion questions about Nate will only deepen as the weather warms and we go deeper into the summer. Where is it back to blazers? Where are we going to be? I don't know. And I think that's what the retros out there really want to know. Are you geared up for our front page? I told Chris before we started that he has to like carry me through this on his back. It's all right. You're, you're light. So it's no problem. Well, I am geared up for this first item <laughs> on our front page, which is Don Lemon at CNN. We talked last week about how about his comments about Nikki Haley being past her prime because, you know, if he you Googled Google it, it yeah. woman is in her prime in her 20s, 30s, and maybe her 40s. Sorry, so I'm glad, I'm glad I have a couple of years left, according to him. So he was, I would say performatively rebuked by CNN CEO and chairman Chris Licht on a company call the next morning who said his remarks were upsetting, unacceptable, and unfair to his co-hosts, and ultimately a huge distraction to the great work of this organization. Well, they were a huge distraction, that's for sure. Accurate. Um, and they were and, unacceptable. That's also And Lemon true. said he's sorry. He did not mean to hurt anyone. He did mean not to. mean to offend anyone. Well, but let's fast forward to he was off the air. For two days, I believe. On vacation. And then there in was Miami. one. Yeah. And then there was one day, apparently, of sensitivity. Well, this is what I wanted to get to. Yeah. So they have now, and this is what I find 
completely absurd. This is what I find offensive about this whole thing. They have now sent Don Lemon to sensitivity training to atone for his sins. The guy is 57 years old, and he's been saying, I think he's 57. Well, according to the Daily Mail of London, he's 56, but I don't know. Okay. He's old enough to know better. I'm actually going to wiki it. So, oh, he, Chris, you're right. I have aired. I know, I know the Don Lamont beat like nobody's business. I apologize for my mistake. Not <laughs> if I made a mistake. I apologize for my mistake. Okay, he is 56. I think it's so offensive that they are, are suggesting that they're going to send him to a couple days of sensitivity training and he's going to go there and learn something and come back and be some kind of reform man. It, it's a complete joke well, that this is the way to handle this problem. The problem is they have a complete a-hole who's on the set, who's been acting like a complete a-hole for years, but he has some star power. He has some charisma. He's a minority. Riz. He's got Riz. <laughs> he's got Riz. And they can't be forthcoming about the... The bind that they're in. Well, here's how you know what's going down is that you agree with Ruth Marcus of the Washington Post. I, I don't infrequent. I, I That's not infrequent. Oh, really? Well, it is for me. And we will link her op-ed. As, as she says. She can, says. Can training change hearts yes. and minds? Will Lemon actually learn and grow? Let's hope. But call me skeptical. Grown men who think tampons are funny. This is a reference to Tiger Woods with a super lame, super lame. I'm no fan. Tiger Woods giving his playing partner a tampon. Whatever. Yeah. And you so she, she throws that in. Yeah. I'm just for context. Let's hope, but call me skeptical, grown men who think tampons are funny and even older men who think that it, the useful shelf life of a woman ends in her 40s. These men aren't changing. They are simply learning to keep quiet. That's blessing enough, but let's not mistake it for a cure. Let me just say. And you know what? Chris Licht suggesting that this is some kind of a solution is also treating the women at CNN like a bunch of morons that they're if supposed to CNN, accept this. If as CNN secure. does not avail itself of this opportunity to fire Don Lemon, they will be sorry for a long time to come. The window is open. Push him out of it. He has done something that the, the broad spectrum of humanity it has deemed to be awful. Uh, though I did love Tammy Bruce and others at Fox were like, wait a minute. Don't fire Don Lemon for saying so. You're like, oh, my gosh. Okay. Anyway. Well, I will say, had he just said this, like, everybody says something stupid, boneheaded. This is his track record. I I speak. I speak with deep, deep wells of experience on this. But his behavior on this set, you know, he's interrupted and talked down to and insulted his co-hosts, and one in particular, Caitlin Collins. Yeah. Oh uh, no. And suggested they're not doing their their jobs well, and so I think he he brings a pretty formidable track record of screw ups and of condescension. And now he's back on set and, with them. Yeah, it's yeah, awful. It's, it's terrible. He, he's incorrigible and not open to as as Ruth suggests in her op ed. He's not reforming himself. He's not changing. And I'm I don't know whether I talked about it last week, but you know my favorite Don Lemon story when he corrected the the profile where he corrects the waiter over the pronunciation of sorbet. And tells the waiter that it's sorbet. And then the interviewer is like, actually, I think it is sorbet. And, and he digs in because he's not nice. That's the thing that Don Le- The problem with Don Lemon is he's not nice. And 
he's not collegial, and if CNN does not use this opportunity to cashier him, then it will just it will it will go on and go on and go on. They took him out of primetime. They put him in the morning. They set him up to succeed, and he has been nothing but trouble, and he has been nothing but heartache for his co-hosts. And now is the time to say, as the as Fox News used to say when they fired somebody, we wish him well. <laughs> now is the time to say, go enjoy a sorbet, and we wish you well. Up next, Chris. Ugh. I think we're going to have to talk about Dominion. Is it Dominion Voting? I don't. I actually don't know the full think, company name here. I think it's here. Dominion Voting Systems. Dominion Voting Systems, the latest filing in their defamation case against Fox News. And we're going to link to the filing itself. There's lots and lots and lots of news coverage of this filing, which is the result of discovery that Dominion did with Fox News executives, including Rupert Murdoch, Lachlan Murdoch, Fox News CEO Suzanne Scott, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, our own Chris Steyerwalt here, this, that, and the other. So lots of people are quoted in this. And so there's a ton of news coverage about it. But I I read it myself just because I, I wanted to see the original. I wanted to see and read the original document. And I have a bunch of questions for you about it. But first, I just pulled a bunch of quotes from it okay. that I think we can we can present to the audience with a little bit of co- context. The the filing starts with the Arizona call and the audiences that that you know a little something about and the Fox News audiences broadly speaking displeasure about that call and the internal correspondence around it and the Fox News chief White House correspondent starts sending up flares and says, quote, to executives, we are taking major heat over the AZ call. Our viewers are also chanting Fox News sucks, something I have never heard before. Tucker Carlson texts, we worked really hard to build what we have. Those efforts are destroying our credibility. It enrages me. He also texted his producer, Do the executives understand how much credibility and trust we've lost with our audience? We're playing with fire for real. An alternative like Newsmax could be devastating to us. And this leads to their, I think, panic about, and these are quotes from the, quote, protecting the brand. They worried that, um, and this is Carlson's word, vandalism Mm -hmm. was done to the brand over the Arizona call. And so the Arizona call bleeds into Trump's assertions that something Trump's Sidney Powell's and Rudy Giuliani's assertion that something funny happened in this election, that votes were not counted properly. And that is something that it seems nobody inside Fox believed to be true. But because of their fear that damage had been done to the brand, that the viewers were angry, they felt they had to indulge. And is that am I characterizing this accurately? I knew it was bad when I was there and what was going on. And I knew that the reaction that we were receiving from some of our colleagues for telling the truth was bad. And I knew that we were a little isolated, but I did not know the extent to which it was taking place. And... 
the thing that pleases me the most about the filing is that my old boss and and a real, and I say this word with real sincerity, a real hero to me, Bill Salmon, just as a good man and a good person, a good journalist, a good American, he comes through and you can see what he's battling here, right? You can see the struggle that he's engaged in. I'm helping him. I'm running alongside him and doing what I can. But Bill is taking the brunt of the of the abuse. And when when Carlson talks about what we have built, what was built at Fox was built when Tucker Carlson was on MSNBC and CNN. What was built at Fox was built in trying to find some balance between straight news reporting, fair and balanced news reporting, and right-leaning opinion shows. Roger Ailes made that thing, right? Rupert Murdoch created the platform. Roger Ailes perfected it and made it the number one thing. And Tucker Carlson was very lucky to have benefited from it. But certainly, Sean Hannity had more to do with making the thing than Tucker Carlson ever did. What I took away from the what I read was how on earth did Fox News get to a position where there's a group text chat among the three primetime hosts and they are collectively bargaining with the CEO, Suzanne Scott. What on earth is going on where these three, whose interests are not coterminous with... Tucker talks about the stockholders. He talks about, we can't tell the people what's going on. Look what's happening to the stock price. He talks about as if he is the custodian of Fox News's reputation. He's the custodian of his own reputation and his own show. The three primetime hosts have totally different interests than the long-term interests of the network because what they want to do is get the maximum number of eyeballs every night to win that hour of the ratings. And they don't care how the daytime hours are doing. They don't care how Special Report's doing. They don't care how Fox News Sunday's doing. They care about their show, not the long-term health of the network. And when you are taking policy instructions and you, when you hear the groveling that Scott and others are doing to these hosts and how it is distorting the way the network is handling itself – what you see is a organization that has lost control of itself, right? You see management that is unable to do the correct thing, which is to say, I don't care what you think. We pay you to do your show. Do your show. We'll let you know. Do you think Roger Ailes was like, I wonder what Bill O'Reilly thinks we ought to be doing about the results in the 2012 presidential election? No. He would have said, you got an hour, go do your hour, shut up. If you're lucky, I'll let you do it however you want it. The imbalance here is dangerous and bad for, so sometimes the doing the right thing is bad for business. Telling the truth about the election results may have been bad for business for Fox News. But just like with 2012, of course the ratings go down. How do you think Baltimore, or not Baltimore, Philadelphia Eagles fans, felt about watching sports coverage the week after the Super Bowl. Of course, Republicans were going to tune out. Of course, ratings were going to dip. The election was over. You reach the absolute zenith, and then it's going to fall off. And you know what you do? You go back to what works. You go back to doing the right stuff. You go back to trying to find that balance between opinion and news. You go back to making the donuts. And you know that the audience, if you, if you keep the faith, will come back to you in time when they want more news. What these guys wanted to do was maintain the artificial sugar high of the election 
going past the election by casting doubt on the election itself. That's bad for the country, but it's also long-term bad for business because it undermines the, the functional confidence that people can have in the network. And what I, my takeaway, and I may yet be called to testify and I will be deposed in other cases and this will go on and on, but my takeaway trying to look at it objectively as a media critic is the failure of the management core at Fox to be resolute and the failure of the management core at Fox to deal with the pressures from these prima donnas who are, whose interests were not coterminous with their own is a substantial failure and it reinforced the problems with what brought us to January 6th. I have a couple of thoughts. I, I don't really disagree with you except for that it, it when I, reading the filing, it didn't quite seem to me that like the management was just pressured by the primetime hosts. Oh, no. It seemed I, yeah, to yeah. me that they shared their views to a certain extent and that they wanted two impossible things. They wanted both. You know, Rupert Murdoch was saying, if Trump becomes a sore loser, we should watch Sean especially, and others don't sound the same. It was, don't be a sore loser. We know this stuff is not true, and we have to move on. And then Suzanne Scott, the president of Fox, is saying... We can't give the crazies an inch right now, and that actually means something different than it sounds like. You right. think she's saying, don't indulge the crazy. She's actually saying, we can't give them an inch to say we're not on their team. That's right. And she says, they're looking for and blowing up all appearances of disrespect to the audience. So she's actually like, I'm not going to say the tip of the spear, but she's on the spear saying, yeah. we have to indulge them. We've, we we can't lose audience. and. What Rupert's asking for, don't be a sore loser, and Suzanne Scott's instructions of we can't give the crazies an inch to attack us with, those things are in complete conflict. Paul Ryan said the other day in an interview, he was talking about Kevin McCarthy, to be good at these jobs, you have to be willing to lose these jobs. That's true. It's just true. And for Fox, the willingness to stand and take heat and let people yell and let people scream and let Trump yell and go on and for it to be okay and understand that this is the price of poker and this is life. As you say, these are not, those two impulses cannot coexist, right? The impulse to flatter and deceive the audience in order to allow them to believe things that were not true cannot coexist with the long-term responsible action that Rupert Murdoch was talking about in his email. Those two things can't be can't be at the same time. And what Fox was looking for in the moment, obviously, or what the people communicating here were talking about in the moment, was not, I, let me be real corny just for a second, and I know these were things that were picked by a plaintiff in a lawsuit. But you know what you don't hear about? You don't hear somebody who says, we have to do the right thing anyway, even if it's bad for the brand. We have to do the right thing. And Fox was in a special circumstance as the with a heavily Republican audience and influential. Fox was under even greater duty to keep it clean and keep it tidy in this point. And, you know, you can see them failing the test in real time. And so it is, I will just say, really saddening. It is saddening to see. And I don't think it's irrevocable. I don't think it is the way that things will be forever. I don't think that it has to be any of that stuff. But it is, you can watch the failure happen in real time. 
you, I think you'd want to talk a little bit about Tucker Carlson raising questions. Oh, about, I just, I want to throw, I want you to hear what he said. Well, but can we get, give us a little context about when this So the is. night before, the night before the filing came out that made all this news and all this stuff, here's what Tucker Carlson inserted into a show that was mostly about the railroad disaster in Ohio. Taken a poll. But it's possible on this Thursday evening, you may be wondering what the hell is going on in our country? There are so many unanswered questions, some of them lingering. How, for example, did senile hermit Joe Biden get 15 million more votes than his former boss, rock star crowd surfer Barack Obama? Results like that would seem to defy the laws of known physics and qualify instead as a miracle. Was the 2020 election a miracle? Honestly, we don't know. We don't expect to get an answer to it tonight. We don't know. We don't know. We don't know. It's just must be fake, though, because there's no way that in an electorate of 145 million people that there were 15 million that votes shifted when the Republican Party nominated the host of The Celebrity Apprentice. There's no there's no possible way that a vote shift like that could possibly have occurred in an election, which, by the way, saw a turnout. I don't know, Nate Moore, would we say 20% larger than the than the Obama election? I don't know. But a substantial increase, the highest turnout election in American history it was in 2020. And that kind of facile, just asking questions, to put that out the night before, it was, and I don't know, maybe... The the text would seem to indicate that he does not believe these things. And so what this sounds like is inoculating yourself against your audience. Just to put it down the night before, just letting you know, I am going along with the claims of the stolen election by asking these questions. And it was totally insert. You could, it doesn't fit with the rest of the flow. And it felt very, it felt, it felt very weird. And somebody sent it to me. I'm not a, I'm not a regular viewer. And somebody sent it to me. I looked at it and it, it feels like even now when the best thing for Fox news would absolutely be what for Tucker Carlson to be keeping it clean for every opinion host, for everybody to steer clear of any, anything that sounds like a claim of election fraud and any of that stuff. What's he doing? It's not what he built. It's what the Murdochs built. It's what Roger Ailes built. It's what hundreds of, of journalists and opinion people and producers and everybody else built. And for him, when he, by the way, wanted to get a hardworking reporter who was trying to do the right things fired for being honest. You're referring to the in the Dominion filing, some of the texts show that when one Fox News reporter, Jackie Heinrich, was fact-checking Trump, um, about his a claim that he was making about um, specifically referencing Dominion voting, they she elevated those claims yeah. to management, saying she should be fired. She should be fired. So I don't know. I'm just asking questions. I don't know who the vandal here is. I don't know what the vandalism that's going on is. We may never know today, but I'm not sure that it's Jackie Heinrichs. Do you want to talk about Tucker handing over January sixth? Oh, or sorry. Kevin McCarthy handing over January 6th footage, hundreds of hours of it to to Tucker Carlson. If you wonder whether there will be consequences for Tucker Carlson out of the these revelations, voila, 
there will not, or there have not, which is to say Kevin McCarthy is not releasing the full collection of January 6th video. He well, is he says giving eventually it, he's going to do it, but, but first only he's after, give it, right. Only after Tucker Carlson and his crew get to chop it up into pieces. This is, of course, the same crew that gave you the, was it a false, we're just asking questions, was it a false flag, was January 6th a false flag operation? Well, it was more, it was more than that. Black it, helicopters, it was, yeah. I mean, they interviewed people saying this was really the FBI and... And so after Tucker Carlson gets his chance to roll around in it like a dog and a dead deer, the then McCarthy will release it. And I just have to say, I wonder why Kevin McCarthy did that. I wonder if that, you remember when Tucker Carlson was berating and threatening all these people in Congress about his son and allegate the, the, the nepotism claim about his son who and Tom Emmer and all that kind of stuff. And we saw the emails where he was threatening people, what he was going to do if they didn't treat his son nicely and all that stuff. I assume, and I am perhaps quite wrong to assume this, that Kevin McCarthy either explicitly agreed to give Tucker Carlson this footage in his bid to become speaker, or this is a, 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 a token of appreciation at the end for Tucker not heaping after McCarthy. and all, Because eventually he started out with the McCarthy rebels, and then at the end, Carlson goes to like, well, I don't care. It's not important. He 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 started to move away from it. My guess is that on McCarthy's part, this is keep your friends friends close, yes. keep your enemies closer. That's right. Um, I as think opposed that's to exactly some kind right. of explicit negotiation. Yes. But Chris, up next we have one of your favorite new beats. Oh yes. I think every every paper in the country must be must have someone on this beat, which is the George Santos beat. It's pretty great. And uh, even as George Santos may fade into ex- obscurity, may his legacy never be forgotten since the news media is determined to find new George Santoses. So meet Andy Ogles. And he is a congressman from Tennessee, freshman, WTVF Nashville, if you believe Middle Tennessee's newest congressman. He's not only a businessman, he's an economist, a nationally recognized expert in tax policy and healthcare, a trained police officer even an expert in international sex crimes. But an exclusive News Channel 5 investigation discovered that Andy Ogles, Ogles, Ogles? Not sure. Ogles, Andy Ogles' personal life story is filled with exaggerations, a story that's too often too good to be true. Evergreen statement about about everybody in Congress. It's, it's, It's all out there. I wonder if every other freshman, member of the freshman class, is sweating today thinking, is today the day they're going to come and find out the exaggerations that I have engaged in throughout my political career in order to obtain this office? And I guess I'm okay with it, but it is an interesting, the, the, the subbeat of, because last week, who was the woman, the, the fresh woman from? Anna Paulina Luna. Anna Paulina Luna. And this, and this week it's Andy Ogles. So whoever's up next on the hit parade, good luck. We'll circle back with you next week. Chris, we have a, what you would call a bouquet of Ron DeSantis coverage. Meatball. I have a personal favorite in this in this bouquet, but it is actually the final item in this. So okay. Here we go. So up first, we have the, I mean, this article has already been written seven times. Molly Jong Fast and Vanity oh Ron this DeSantis so shouldn't be covered just like any other Republican. And she writes, to call DeSantis a culture warrior dangerously understates what the man is capable of. 
Murder. But this would not, this would not, definitely not overstate it, okay? She writes, he is the Genghis Khan of social issues, using every opportunity to target and demonize groups that have already been targeted and demonized throughout history. So how should he be covered if he shouldn't be covered like a normal Republican? I don't know what Molly Jongfast's Twitter all-star Molly Jongfast's threshold for a normal, who is a normal Republican in her mind? I guess a Democrat? Larry Hogan. Larry Hogan? Yeah. Well, Larry Hogan is a nice, normal person, but he might have some disturbingly conservative points of view. I don't know if even he could meet the test. Certainly he couldn't be pro-life. That would, that, would be, that would probably be too radical and too dangerous. This is, by the way, how the media screwed up with Trump so effulgently, which was, we must break the rules in order to cover... A, save democracy. To save democracy, we must break the very rules that we hold dear in order to deal with this asymmetrical threat. We cannot normalize Donald Trump by covering him in a normal way. How'd that work out? Like, give me a break. Give me a break. Don't say that. Don't say we can't cover him like a normal person. We have to give. So what you're really going to do is just let what the 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 real takeaway from the Molly Jong Fast piece is let's let Ron DeSantis get away with absolute murder because let's not hold him to the correct standard. Let us engage in adversarial journalism of the kind that allows him to skate on accountability and make him a hero in the eyes of the Republican base. That's the that's what Molly Jong Fast is calling for. And by the way, you know how Republicans really screwed up? Or did the press really screwed up? They overestimated their power to persuade. They thought that once they declared war on Donald Trump, voters would go, well, you know, I'd been I'd been undecided about Donald Trump. But now that the New York Times has weighed in in the fashion that they have, I am prepared to move against him. That's not how that works. Keep it clean, folks. Keep it clean. <laughs> oh, Kevin Williamson. Save your voice. The great Kevin Williamson. So headline in, in the dispatch, DeSantis is parens, almost parens, right about libel law. And the New York Times is wrong about Ron DeSantis. And what Williamson is talking about here, there is a move afoot among many Republicans, <clears throat> to crack down on the First Amendment, the, the current interpretation of the First Amendment as it relates to the work we do. New York Times v. Sullivan, or the other way around, I always forget, but the standard about how hard it, and the Fox case is, by, by the way, if you like Fox, you really should be rooting for New for the Sullivan standard to be upheld because without it's it, it's incredibly hard. Yeah, it's it's the legal standard to prove defamation, um, which is a it's a very very high bar to clear. Which is that you have to show that actual uh, malice. outlets were negligent and that they acted with malice. Malice. So you can't have just made a mistake. That's right. And oh, and that there was material damage to somebody's reputation. So And that's that's why the Dominion case is such a big deal is cuz so few ever get to this exactly. point because it's so hard to prove. For example, you need a bunch of texts <laughs> from inside a company. But Kevin's point, which is really good, is that we have a problem in journal the Sullivan standard creates a problem in journalism, which is reckless, sloppy dishonest, celebrity-facing journalism, right? People can trash Ron DeSantis or trash Bernie Sanders. It, 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 it create, it's a lazy, sloppy standard that doesn't do well enough. But, as he points out, measures like DeSantis's or other proposals on the right would, 
if would come at the risk of stifling free inquiry and stifling open conversation. And we have to, we have to even acknowledging a problem does not mean that every solution to the problem is a good one. Don't just, don't, don't just do something. Sit there. I say this. All right. This is the DeSantis item that I am obsessed with. This Washington Post piece is basically about DeSantis. The headline is Republicans use wokeism to attack left, but struggle to define it. it. Okay. So they write Governor Ron DeSantis, a likely 2024 presidential candidate, used his January inaugural address to warn of, quote, the woke mob and its woke ideology, yada, yada, yada. And Ashley Parker and her colleague write, the rallying cry has recently been used to denounce everything from climate change policies and socially responsible investing to transgender rights, critical race theory, and the Black Lives Matter movement. Who do they go to to comment on this? It's Candace Watt-Smith, an associate professor of political science at Duke University and co-author of Stay Woke, A People's Guide to Making All Black Lives Matter. Well, just goes to you just go into an impartial. Totally. She says what we're seeing is a kind of standard practice of conservatives and conservative reactions to black political movements to weaponize the words and concept they've used to undermine efforts of social movements. History shows that you can really rally voters around issues of difference, issues that suggest that people are losing power, issues where their values are being challenged. And the reporters go on to inform us that woke is another word that originated in black culture before being co-opted by white people. How is cancel? Yeah, as uh, just like cancel culture. And then more recently when conservatives began using woke in pejorative terms to undermine black and liberal ideals. So th- this article is turning conservative attacks on woke ideology into a racial issue. Oh my gosh. The story linked also from the Washington Post, the strange journey of cancel from a black culture punchline to a white grievance watchword. Yeah. Really? Really? This is, it's embarrassing. Well. This is completely embarrassing. Talk about facile. Talk about being facile. This is Carlsonian level facile. What is it? People don't even know. Republicans say they're anti-woke, but what is woke? Did you know that the actual origin of woke comes from over here and it's really weird? And who understands? You know who understands? Everyone in America. That's who understands what woke means. Now, it's an imperfect term. It's used wrong. It's I got it. And like, by the way, a lot of things, they, it migrates. What started out as a word used in a positive sense ends up being used in a negative sense where very often things start that start out as a negative sense get taken by the other people, the, the, the group that's targeted and used as their own. Very famously, as, I, as we sit here at the American Enterprise Institute, Austrian economics was a, was a slight against it because it was considered backwater and, and bad. And then eventually they embraced it to say yes. So there's words migrate. Understandings and usages of words migrate. But I will tell you, no Republican doesn't know what Ron DeSantis means when he says woke. There is no struggle to define it. What they mean is cancel culture gendery, pronouny, race theory, all of that stuff. That's what they mean. Social justice. This, this really reminded me of the argument from Democrats during the Virginia gubernatorial election that, that critical race theory what is even really is it? just yeah. it's only taught 
in like Law PhD school. seminars. What are they even talking about? This is not. This, this is, is not, not CRT. In your kid's classroom. This is not even there. It's and again, this is word games, right? Much like at the same time they were doing that, they were talking about inflation. Well, it's not actually. People don't under. <clears throat> that's not really what inflation is. It's like, yeah, people know what inflation is. Stuff costs more. <clears throat> that's what it is. It doesn't matter what your definition is at the Washington Post. It matters how it's understood. And woke is a word that perhaps the author of that book is sorry has been appropriated <laughs> and doesn't wish that it had been appropriated, but it has been appropriated, and this is a facile goofball story. Up next, Chris, Senator Ta- Tommy Tuberville. Coach, is Coach Tuberville. Very upset that Newsmax is being taken off so the air. So Newsmax, the, the same one that the Fox News personalities were so concerned about the rise of Newsmax, has so few viewers that DirecTV dumped it from their channel lineup. But do you know who loves Newsmax? Republican lawmakers who get to go on basically unfiltered any hour of the day or night and say things on Newsmax. And for a guy like Tommy Tuberville, they love to see the red light. Come on over. We will ask you softball questions. You can come on and say whatever you want for as long as you want, and it's going to be great. And so Newsmax has definitely insinuated itself deeply into the Republican Party and now is asking the Republican Party for help in forcing DirecTV to carry Newsmax. I, I, words fail me for a universe in which the Republican Party is trying to force cable providers to have some stations on but not others. There have been allegations of anti-Semitism because of the, I guess, the ownership of news. I, I, I'm unclear. That I was totally unclear about. I'm, un, I'm unclear about what the anti-Semitic overlay here potentially could be. But the Republicans are, are going to war for Newsmax. And it's not because Newsmax is a good platform for them to get their message out, except for that it is an uncritical, cozy place for them to be. And that when you suck up to power to that degree, then you want the power help you make other people do things they don't want to do. Oh, this is another one of your your favorite beats is the train coverage in Ohio. I've, I've been proven um, right. Headline, Chernobyl 2.0, question mark, Ohio train derailments for his wild speculation. The We talked about it before. The Times is on it now that the the intensity of this coverage, of how much coverage of this train derailment and the obsessions, and was it the Trump administration's fault? Is it the Biden administration's fault? And I don't in any way mean to be insensitive to the anxieties of the people in East Palestine. I don't mean, I, I, I certainly, I grew up in a community where industrial disasters were not foreign. I certainly understand. Trains do derail, right? There is no perfect system. There is an accountability process that's taking place now. And the EPA has stepped in and everything has stepped in. But the, the, the degree and politicization of the outcry surrounding this has been loco bananas. On both sides, by the way. So Coats. the Times is, the Times calls attention to the hysteria on the right, which is suggesting there's some kind of cover up and a conspiracy. And then... In the mainstream, I, I like I pulled up Politico this morning. The headline is Judge World Frustrated at GOP Attacks ah, Train Wreck. Republicans I pounce. Mean, Republicans yeah, pounce. Like, 
Oh, Republicans pounce on the fact that the transportation secretary has been AWOL for three weeks. You know, it's like so ridiculous. That's it is it is too much. All right. The Supreme Court, Chris. Oh, this is it. This is rejected a poor Ohio man's bid to sue the police over his arrest for a Facebook parody. This is one that we talked about a long time ago is is very significant. And this is one where The Onion filed the amicus brief. Yep. Supreme Court, NBC News, Supreme Court rejects Ohio man's bid to sue police over arrest for Facebook parody. The court's decision means police in Parma, Ohio, are protected by the legal defense of qualified immunity in a dispute over satirical posts. The story is of a man named Anthony Novak who was arrested over his Facebook posts, which were maybe not hilarious satire. (laughs) Maybe you do not find them to be rib ticklers, but they were clearly satire and they were clearly speech. And I don't know enough about the case. Most of what I know about the case I learned from The Onion, which normally would not be a strong endorsement of knowledge, but in this case, The Onion actually, because it relates to what they do as satirists, this case is significant and there may be problems in it that the reason the Supreme Court did not want to take it because of what else is going on in the case. But I will tell you, that the war on free expression and the war on free speech and the war on discourse and all of that stuff, satire and humor is the, is the safest space, right? We have to keep that the safest space, and we can't be a bunch of unfunny jerks who can arrest people over stuff that you, over mocking people in positions of power. So I, this concerns me a little bit. And finally, in the last item, before we hit our style section, mm-hmm. we have James O'Keefe. Oh, update. Yeah. James O'Keefe ousted from his post at Project Veritas. Just as um, another follow-up file. I also, I have not watched the video, but he posted some 45-minute long video. I bet it's great. Speaking to the staff, but the, the board pushed him out, and it's ostensibly over exorbitant, pay, exorbitant costs, like... Jet. Private jets, travel, et cetera, et cetera, charter flights. And, but it follows their involvement. It, the FBI is investigating them over their. Oh, the diary, the yeah. Ashley Biden diary. Um, there's a lot swirling around them right now. I don't know. I don't really have anything to say about this. Just for me, it's just follow up file. James O'Keefe, and we've talked about, we've tracked the story with Ashley Biden's diary, and we've tracked the story about the guerrilla journalism of James O'Keefe. Okay, that brings us to our style section. Mediaite reports that the upcoming Oscar ceremony (laughs) will be equipped with a crisis team in the event of another Will Smith-style stunt. Amazing. I mean, let's say it happens. What what is this crisis team going to do? His name is Bill Kramer. He's the CEO of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. I assume Ant-Man and the Wasp poised to sweep. We have a whole crisis team, something we've never had before, and many plans in place. Well, do you have, Mr. Kramer, a crisis team that will cause human beings to act by ethical and moral codes? I wonder, maybe that's what they'll have, is ethics and morality instruction for the members of the Academy, of which he leads, so that when someone assaults one of your presenters that you do not later give them a massive glorious award and invite them on stage to applause to applause maybe so maybe that's what the crisis team will do or 
if you have a crisis team who's going to see a punch coming and rush the stage. To oh, get in like if you could have like seals that would that exactly. would zip zip lines exactly. down from the stage to intercept. Exactly. Or what about a net? What if they had like a a gladiator style net that they could drop down on any rampaging celebrities? Well, the the really good news story here would be what is this crisis team and what are they what are they going to be doing during who the is, ceremony who is on it the team has also enlisted late night host jimmy kimmel with with the hopes that his previous experience as a host and his work in live television will help in the event of another viral moment it's so important to have a host who knows how to handle live television and a live audience sorry chris rock you you blew it if you had been better with a live audience will smith wouldn't have wouldn't have struck you in public, that's a very specific skill. And there aren't a lot of people who can do that well. Jimmy is a dream to work with. So you got a, you got a front hand slap from Will Smith, Chris Rock, and now you get a backhand from Mr. Kramer. I only hope that these pseudo events die. We did not, Donald Trump failed to kill the White House Correspondents' Dinner. Uh, and it, so it persists. The Oscars still go on COVID, did not knock out the Oscars. I don't know what I don't know what to do. I'm really at a loss. Chris, I guess continue not to watch. Yeah, me too. That brings us to our obsessions of the week. Where we break down the stories that oh, we yeah. can't get out of our heads. Mine mine was an excerpt from our friend Steve Krakauer's new book on the mainstream media, and the title of that book is Uncovered, How the Media Got Cozy with Power, Abandoned Its Principles, and Lost the People. But, 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 he, for the book, interviewed former New York Times reporter Sean McCreesh, who's now a writer for New York Magazine, about the brouhaha over the Tom Cotton op-ed at the New York Times, Send in the Troops, and McCreesh just tees off on what happened inside the Times. And good for him, like good for somebody for speaking out. James Bennett has spoken out and, and said he was just tossed out the window by the yep. Sal- by Arthur Salzberger. But good for McCreesh for speaking out about it. So McCreesh told Krakauer that leadership at the Times, quote, completely lost their nerve in the face of, quote, angry backbiting staffers, including some Bennett. And that's a reference to James Bennett, the former op-ed editor, who, or the former editorial page editor who was fired over his decision to publish that cotton op-ed. So including some Bennett had brought to the Times, McCreesh said he was, quote, so effing freaked out by the mob and remarked that the scene was, quote, was like a murder. And this is McCreesh. There was this giant communal Slack chat for the whole company that became sort of like the digital gallows, he told me. And all these angry backbiting staffers were gathering there and demanding that heads roll. And the most bloodthirsty of the employees were these sort of weird tech and audio staffers. And then a handful of people who wrote for like the arts and leisure section and the style section and the magazine, (laughs) which in other words, you know, it was no one who was actually out covering any of the protests or the riots or the politics. It was just sort of like a bunch of Twitter brain crazies kind of running wild on Slack. And the leadership was so horrified by what was happening, they just completely lost their nerve. And Chris, I do this think... This dude is a dude, I man. think that there's a parallel between this and Fox. Twitter brain... Oh, hunted pity. Twitter brained crazies. I, that checks out both at the New York Times and at Fox and letting the inmates run the asylum. I mean, this guy... 
he is living out loud. I will, I will, I will say this from a crease. He is ready to go, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow him more closely. This is interesting. And you point out also the Joe Con letter that that you include here today is evidence that maybe things may be different in the New York Times now than they were before. Well, in the wake of several times employees signing on to an activist letter demanding that they change the way they cover trans Joining issues. Joining Judd Apatow yeah. in, in denouncing um, the New York Times for its its bigotry. Joe Kahn, the executive editor over at the Times who succeeded Dean Baquet, sent out a letter saying they are not to join activists in their criticism, no Times employees to join activists in criticism of their own colleagues and Max, of the paper's reporting. Max Tanny from Semaphore so, got the got the letter. Uh, will not tolerate participation by Times journalists. I mean, in the protests. fact that this even needs to be said is is ridiculous. <clears> but but, uh, it, but, but, it, but does. it needed to be it needed to be said with the Tom Cotton stuff, and it wasn't. And now it is. And that's but it does more evidence for my claims of a of a of a turning at the New York Times. More evidence. The Steyerwaltian premise. Is, is is upheld slightly. I'll remind you of that when the next oh, crazy I know. thing happens. I, if I've got to, if I'm going to have to pay the freight when the yeah. next time the New York yeah. Times does a story about how your child's summer camp isn't preparing for global warming, yeah, I will, I will be, I will be duly upbraided. So I got to enjoy the goods now. Have you heard about the editing of the Roll Doll books? Oh, I've heard. Oh, I know. Everybody. My heard. mom is like texting me twice a day that she. She bought this one. She bought that one. You know, scooping them up. She's cornered the market on these books for my kid before is, before they're all scrubbed. You know how people said that New Coke was a stunt by the Coca Cola company to rebrand and relaunch Coca Cola, and that they wanted it to stink so that they could sell more Coke. I don't think that's true, but this is definitely a case where the urgent love of the original Roll Doll books on right of center by right of center America is creating an absolute bonanza of book sales before the before the new sanitized versions come out this has been a very did you like Roald Dahl loved oh my gosh uh, I didn't like it it was too dark Matilda yeah too dark James and the Giant Peach. Oh my gosh! James and the Giant Peach was okay. So good. I listened to that. My my boys. So good. My boys and I read James and the Giant Peach. But there's a darkness. There's a a a a meanness inside Roll Doll. That's why I liked it. Yeah, this is us, you and me. This is right. Peaches, peaches and herb. You're describing Uh, exactly what I liked about it. I and I I didn't like the darkness, and I find I found it a little unsettling, and that was not the kind of stuff I enjoyed. But for people who enjoy it. And by the way, Roald Dahl was an anchovy of a person and was not a nice guy, And but had that. I Maybe I'll put it this way. I certainly understand the appeal of Roald Dahl to that part of us that curls up at the ends a little bit, right? Because I've got a little, I, it's not just that I look like the Grinch. It is that inside me, there's a little of that. So I, it's not that I don't understand. But here's my obsession with it. So why anyone ha- gives Piers Morgan a column or allows Piers Morgan to have their platform, I don't know. New York Post headline, I do know because he's famous, and says provocative things at all times, like the following. Censorship of Roald Dahl is more akin to China's cultural revolution than supposed democracies. No. That is wrong in every way that it can be wrong. Roald Dahl is not being censored. Roald Dahl is being edited by his own estate. Private individuals engaging in commerce have decided to edit his own books. That's who did it. 
The government did not do it. And to say that it is akin to China's cultural revolution would suggest that somehow Joe Biden is playing the role of Mao Zedong and is going to to what liquidate 50 million Americans or whatever in for the great leap forward. That is let people do what they want with their stuff. You will not like all of the things that people, I do not like that Roald Dahl's family is making his books less interesting and less good. It's okay. So you didn't even like the books in the first place. I barely liked it in the first place. So you so, probably really don't like what they're doing if you like the books in the first place. But I got my mom looking out for me. So you've got you've yep. got your bases covered. Let people do what they want to do with the things that they own. Let them do it. Let them be what they want to be. It's their stuff. Let them do it. And do not say that it's censorship and do not compare it to Look, Mao. they're just honoring black culture by <laughs> making all these changes. Well, Why would anyone object? I hope it's not woke because that would that would that might be a misappropriation of the term. So that's a danger that we'll have to keep an eye on. Chris, that brings us to my favorite time of the week, Heck which yeah. is reader mail. We have a letter from Jim from Seattle, Washington, who writes, Esteemed wretches. Though I have only rarely encountered the stories you discuss in their natural environs, I love listening to your thoughtful dissection of the week's world of news. You have likely mentioned this before. I'm a relatively new listener. But am I wrong to find the play, watch, eat section of the New York Times, the morning newsletter, a bit Orwellian? As you know, it is divided into what to cook, where to go, and ends with now time to play. This seems more like dictums than suggestions to me somehow. Wishing I had formed a band and named it Ink Stained Wretches, Wretches to avoid the nasty trademark dispute sure to come once I learn an instrument. Oh, uh, Jim, thank you. Jim, what? you start that band and you can make us some music for the show. Yeah, we would definitely accept. We would have like guest outro uh, music. Yeah. yeah, we could we could definitely. And so when you learn, Jim. But my question for you, Eliana Johnson. What? What kind of band would a band called Ink Stained Wretches be? Would it be like a punk band? Would it be not punk. jazz? What would it be? Yeah, I like jazz. Ja- well, you like jazz, jazz but good. does that go with the name? Would you name a band the Ink Stained Wretches? Yeah, I guess I would see that. More important to me, I just want Jim to know, I love those New York Times emails. I'm like, thank you. Someone is telling me like what to eat, what to do. I just want to be told what to do sometimes. Yeah, and I will, I will say. I, I love it. I will, say, I will say it can't be Orwellian because you signed up for it. <laughs> a giant screen in your room does not turn on and tell you what to do that day. Eliana Johnson wants them to tell her. I don't like that kind of language. I, 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 in the same way that I despise the axios, be smart, do this, you're a dummy, blah, 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 blah. It, I find it insulting. Many people love to be like, five hot things to do this weekend where you will be able to encounter cherry blossoms and pet exotic bird at the same time in Washington. Go. Many people love these kinds of lists and it's okay. Chris, that brings us to your favorite time of the week. When I am forced to say something nice, but you're going to lead by example. I have nothing nice to say this week either. Oh, we're you're sick. We're gonna we're we're gonna Thank you. we're we're gonna give you a little a little breako this week. Oh, but Tim McCarver, Cardinals beloved part of the Cardinals Hall of Fame, a ball player and a great broadcaster, passed away. And I had missed this piece before, 
and I just wanted to to share it here. Ken Ro- Rosenthal from The Athletic, uh, which I have really come to enjoy The Athletic for my sports coverage. I really do like what they're doing, and I, I feel better equipped to watch the St. Louis Cardinals prepare their long march to world a world championship this year thanks to the athletic but rosenthal writes in addition to spending hours studying both clubs tim would also talk with players coaches and managers both in the clubhouse and on the field his curiosity was boundless he frequently would remark to someone in uniform i have never heard that term before and then he would use that term on the broadcast drawing sheer delight out of what he had learned tim mccarver never lost the beautiful childlike enjoyment of the work that he was doing. And I aspire to never lose it for what I do. I love politics. I love to be around it. I love to see it. I love the practice of it. It gets very heavy sometimes, and it's very tempting to be a Molly Jong fast, right? It's very tempting to fall into apocalyptic goofball stuff. But I want to be like Tim McCarver. And this is my favorite item of the week because I want to be like Tim McCarver. I want to continue to be delighted and surprised and enjoy the work that I do. Mine is the absurdity of this getting inches in the New York Times, Chris. Barrier breaking. Come on. Okay. Stand with your sisters. In a first, a woman issues a thunderstorm watch, (laughs) officials say. Okay. Glass ceiling shattering everywhere. Ms. Lightman is one of only two women among the 22 full-time forecasters at the Storm Prediction Center. As far as I know, there has been five of us, Ms. Lightman said, referring to female forecasters who have worked there. Oh, my gosh. Go. From 1 to 3 p.m., Ms. Lightman refined the size and scope of the thunderstorm watch as conditions changed. Around 3.30, she led a conference call with other offices that were responsible for counties. Within the watch area, after a quick conversation with other forecasters, a few counties were added to the watch, which included a region stretching from the outskirts of Oklahoma City to Dallas. Dallas. She even, she took a second and then looked back at one of her colleagues and said, Evan, take a picture. It's my first watch. Boom. And what was the real lightning strike that day? It wasn't in the central plains of the United States. It was in that room where a woman, a lady with lady parts, convened a conference call and declared the thunderstorm watch. So, Eliana, you've made Women it. Women everywhere you've are arrived. liberated. You've finally, yeah, yeah. You've finally done it. We've been waiting it. for this Congrat- moment. So I just, I congratulations to you <laughs> that finally Susan B. Anthony can finally rest in, in the beyond because at last someone has convened a conference call to define the, to define the shape of a thunderstorm watch in the great plains that is all the time we have left for the news about the news if you have a story you want us to talk about email us at wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com that's wretches at nebulouspodcasts.com this has been ink stained wretches from nebulous media produced by colin chicola but today we have jennifer huffle in yeah colin Find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Just search for Relics.